something a bit more um, thought-inducing. <laughs> Perhaps, hopefully it's useful. And, uh, you know, in, in giving advance notice that I was happy to teach a retreat here, then naturally, what's it going to be about? You know, what's the theme? So everyone's tempted to say, you know, it's just, basically it's the same old thing, just different goulash, you know, different sources on it, but <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't. <laughs> so you know, these are just avenues uh, into into uh, a dharma practice. What you find is almost every time I go into it, I find new angles, new avenues, new uh, currents, new circuits, new approaches, uh, and I'm. It's delightful because of that. Seems to be always, no matter how many words you throw around it, there's always another way you can say it. <laughs> so this one came out as, I think, <laughs> generosity and interdependence. Yeah. Okay. So he, that fills the cracks. Healing, healing the cracks. Okay. <laughs> I think the cracks you probably recognise. <laughs> These stress points where you suddenly feel yourself, ooh, you know it doesn't work or what's happened there we're missing we're missing each other we're not understanding or where's the divisions between people um you know based upon you know various things societies nations creed color caste men women muslims buddhists (laughs) rich poor and so on and so on these splits uh where we're not able to live in harmony with a sense of openness and sharing and trust you know to the extent even our own bodies, you know, it can split off our own bodies. Bodies kind of meat bag that you run around on top of, as it were, <laughs> drag it to work, dump it down, throw some coffee in it, and drag it off again, dump it down, sit it in front of a video or something like that. <laughs> so kind of is, and after a while it starts to fight back, you know. <laughs> So, you know, the cracks are evident and uh, pain-inducing and deeply uh, cause severe, unnecessary limitations on this uh, seemingly limited existence becomes even more limited through these uh, blocks and cracks. You know? So, you know, why generosity is there at the beginning? Because this is the most simplest, easiest way in which we start to you know, reach beyond those. Don't we? Everybody does this. You know, we give something to another person. It's that moment when we're together, we unite. It's friendly. It's warm. There's a current of warm energy between us. You know? Very, very natural. Very obvious. Universal. Everybody does this. Come and sit down, have a meal. Hello, shake hands. You know, how can I help? Mm-hmm. Very natural thing. And so natural. Oh, why do we do that? Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, you can say Dharma in a way, one way of looking at it is this is the cultivation, a deepening of this quality of generosity. And just to look at that, you know, why we started with the puja this morning, because we're not putting any money in a box, we're not um, helping anybody out, we're not uh, winning favours, uh, we're not trading off, we're not saying I'll give you this so you give me something back. It's just this opening, you know, bring forth some energy of praise, love, uplift, bring it out, sing it, chant it, put it out there, 
be what happens you know, if you can do this because you not don't can't always do it you know. a bit strange perhaps because you're just doing it to empty space <laughs> but one thing to be sure is that empty space won't betray you <laughs> it won't abuse your your gifts so this of course is the where the the problems occur, don't they? How many of us give our hearts and then get left, left, dumped or betrayed? You know? So, you know, but the pure purification of generosity, and, you know, in a way, generosity is an enlightenment. It's one of the enlightenments. There are many enlightenments actually. You know, that all have their own enlightening quality. So when we can experience that and feel it, and feel the beauty of it, then there's a whole shedding of fear, mistrust, isolation, isn't there? Whenever that can happen. Mm. And why, you know, the most most powerful, wonderful thing to give, to be able to give, is to give the heart. And why those who do healers are always feel blessed by people they heal. It's not a burden, it's a joy. Mm-hmm. And the purification of generosity is generosity that expects no results apart from to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Don't want anything back, I'm not asking for that. Just, it uh, purifies in terms of there's no accountancy, like how much should I? It's just, it's not measured, it's measureless. It's generosity, it's purified in terms, there's nobody being generous, it's not me showing how generous I can be, what a big guy I am, it's, no. It's purified of that. It's purified of, a, of an object, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, you know, what you think of it, it's purified of that. It's purified of these measurements, so it's called a measureless, and these are one of the measureless abidings. So when we experience measurelessness, to that extent there's enlightenment, there's a freedom from these boundaries of mistrust, apprehension, nervousness, am I good enough, I've got anything worth giving anyway, and who cares, and what does he think of me, and am I making, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's purified of all that jitter. So then there's a lovely quality of streaming. And when you realise, really, we're not looking at particular finer objects to give, because the highest gift is the gift of the heart. And everything else comes from that. So we get that right. Then the material things, we can move them around between us. That's helpful, that's finite, that's relative, that's handy. But what really counts for the heart is the ability to give heart and for heart to be received. So in a way, that's the interdependence of it. Because I can't really experience fulfillment of giving unless there's somebody there to receive it. <laughs> you know? You know, there's something as an object of some kind. You know, it's Buddha. You know, it doesn't mean it has to like me, but it's there and I can send towards that. You know? and, uh, and of course, with living beings, the beauty of it is, I always find the beauty of it is in seeing that, that has actually landed and there's some kind of resonance you know, that's been felt. Ah, oh, it's been fulfilled. Thank you. And certainly in my life as an arms mendicant, this is one of the treasures. And I say this and you can smile a bit. That, you know, if I 
go on the street in England and stand with my arms bowl and 60 people walk past and one person stops and they put a banana in the bowl and they say thank you thank you for giving they don't say all this whole thing they might say oh thank you you go thank you and you recognise oh yeah they've experienced the bliss of generosity there was someone they could give to and it only meant one banana and there wasn't a deal, it wasn't like, now I'll do something back. There's no deal. And they said, thank you. And I go, well, bless you. And there's that lovely moment. And I just love those moments. And then the person walks out of my life. And just to live in that stream, to me, has been a privilege. And actually taken many, many years to learn it rather than feel embarrassed, awkward, <coughs> I deserve <laughs> kind of thing, you know, I'm alright, I don't need your charity, this sort of stuff. Just to be <laughs> that's been an, that to me has been an enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still it's still somewhat overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. Indeed, you know, sometimes I can barely barely manage it. Just the overwhelming quality of people's uh, uh, heartfulness and recognition of that comes the interdependence (coughs) we in that we become each of us become greater than ourselves we need each other to become greater than ourselves and generosity as enlightenment factor as an enlightenment (coughs) lightning mode why is it enlightening? Because we've become greater than ourselves. And we've done, not in an arrogant way, you know, not in a selfish way, but we truly feel a sense of warm bond that has no demand, no comparison, no deal. Yeah. Yeah. And this, is, this indeed is a treasure. Now that's, you know, what's that got to do with meditation? Well, why you know puja is part of it is just to to switch on that that, that those nerve endings put it crudely to, to to tune into that heart to abide in it to drink it in uh, because this is in a way actually where the dhamma begins yeah? now we may very well consider the dhamma begins with the four noble truths or mindfulness it begins where you want it to begin really but when the buddha taught it to people who were not cognizant of his teachings, as he begins with dana. Now he wasn't doing fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't asking for donations. <laughs> <laughs> so why is he saying? Because it's the it's the one we most con- we're already doing it generally to somebody, sometime or another. So we, we know it. And the Buddha's path was always, well, you know, get to where they already are, you know, to where they, what they already know, and just develop it, bring it across, bring it out, you know. So dharma, the beginning of the path. Now, because what does it establish? You know, it establishes mutuality. It opens the heart. It establishes mutuality. From there, if we really experience mutuality, we deepen into it. 
How can we injure, wound, accuse, blame, hurt each other? How can we do that? What goes wrong, you know? Have we forgotten that mutuality? If there's problems, can't we say, oh, I found that difficult. Oh, really? Yeah. I found that hurtful. Oh, really? Oh, we can, we can fix it. Yeah. As long as we remain within that mutuality, then even our stupidity and our impulsiveness is something we can, it can hurt, but it doesn't damage. You know, we can, oh, oh, right. And then we can, you know, repair. It's when it's cut off, there's this, that's the problem. The loss of mutuality is the fundamental pain. Mm-hmm. Even if people aren't being offensive. <laughs> so if it's mutuality, even if we are occasionally, you know, sticking an elbow in somebody's ribs accidentally or treading on somebody's toes, if there's mutuality, we can say, oh yeah, of course, we all do this, don't we, occasionally. Oh yeah, let's just... Yeah, yeah, um, you know, we can, we can learn, we can navigate. You know, because of that mutuality is still intact, and we develop compassion, tolerance, patience, humility, respect. We don't know. Nothing is really lost. Without that mutuality, no, there's nothing there anyway. And it's painful. It's painful in a kind of frozen way. I guess it's a frozenness that we get used to, so we don't hardly even notice it. Until you experience generosity, love, mutuality. Oh, and you realise there's something much richer. Hmm? You know, the quality of the loss of mutuality, just again to, to reframe it, hmm? because this will actually, will affect you know, your relationship to your mind <laughs> and your body and your mind states. And what is the, what is the, what is the real, if I'm trying to get it, reframe it for mutuality. Uh, mutuality is the you relationship rather than the it relationship. The you relationship rather than the it. It means, you relationship means the other can speak back to me. I can listen to it, I can learn from it, I can adjust. It cannot. Yeah. It is out there, it's cold. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you use those words, but that's what they mean to me. And I experience that. So, okay, you know, coming into Singapore, then Nick and I are coming into Singapore, we've been very warmly invited, very fervently invited to go to Singapore, please, 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 we want to just come and look after you, please, we'd love to show you around. Okay, we'll go to Singapore. I don't want to go to Singapore particularly, but that's where the, <laughs> that's where the strong invitation is, my senses that go where that happens. So the devotees, tickets, da 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 da, very keen, very enthusiastic, emails, make sure it all lines up, get to Singapore, and they got this form, fill in the form, nationality, database, yada, 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 address in Singapore, I don't know, contact, phone number, I don't know, the one thing that the deputies forgot <laughs> was to tell us, because I don't care where I'm going, so I don't need to know, <laughs> they realise that, they don't bother to write it down, so I got no address, no 
and there's no phone. I've got all the emails, there's no phone number. I don't mind, we'll just get to customs and explain it, you know, get to customs. Looking for address. Uh, I don't know the address actually, well, they're just over, you know, they're about 50 minutes, just the other side, no address. No address. Hand waved. Oh God, God. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Doesn't matter, just the way. <laughs> you can go up, there's the internet connection upstairs, you can figure it out, just that sense of man was not offensive, not hard, not harsh, not but just very clear. Oh wait. <laughs> and you realise that, that hand was not gonna move any other way. <laughs> that gentle gentle, polite but firm away. <laughs> it was not gonna beckon, I think. Like 50 metres away, the other side of that glass partition, there's some people anticipating, getting excited, worrying, wondering what's happening. They're like 50 metres away. You know, could we just negotiate away? <laughs> <laughs> That's an it, right? <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no... And that's his job. You know, I'm sure he's a friendly enough guy. But once the uniforms are, that's what uniforms do. I now the person who sees you as an idiot. Borders are like that. Okay, so breathe in, breathe out. Go upstairs. Okay, well don't worry, you know, I've got a phone here that I can phone somebody in Thailand who knows this person's phone number. We can somehow get through. Get to the phone. This phone with a SIM card in that's promised me inter instant connection to anywhere in the world. <laughs> No connection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you been on one of those? Please contact their website for support. <laughs> there is no one available to receive your call right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, you've just been itted again. <laughs> and you're going to sit there. And they don't, you know, okay, I'm sitting down, nobody's bothering me, it's not cold, I've got food, I'm okay. And I'm feeling, uh, oof, being itted, you know. And you recognise this is just a tiny thing compared with, some people are itted all their lives, you know. All their lives are just stamped, labelled, pushed behind a fence, invisible or visible. They're feeling a sense of, you know, compassion and sorrow. Not for myself, but just for this, this phenomenon in human societies, human cultures. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, and there are the frustration. I don't have the money. I don't have the magic token that gets you past it being <laughs> a thing. I don't have it. And you can you have to sit there and wait until somebody becomes a you and sees you as you. Can I help you? Naturally, you know, yeah, I've got Nick with me, so that's great. He's got the magic tokens. Yada yada does the phone call, Thailand, da 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 get it. Eventually comes through, address comes through, comes through back to the man, sign thing is, and waves the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Through through what? <laughs> With this token of money. <laughs> and you sense of the kind of, uh, the, you know, 
the power, then you're under the power of that. No negotiation. How many people, how many people, perhaps, perhaps everybody, sooner or later, is under that one. So, you know, and in that, one experiences a sense of compassion, of mutuality, you know. Once you, that's the beauty of the mind, is that even in our, you know, our relative slavery, servitude, once you recognize we're all in this, to some degree or another, sometime in our lives, then the mind can actually move into this mutuality again, the mutuality even of our pain. And we just get a sense of, instead of that frustration and tension and wrath and despair, a sense of melting into something beautiful. Actually, it doesn't matter. I can sit here. Nobody's beating me up. Sooner or later, somebody will get me over this. <laughs> I'm all right. And some people don't get that. So, you know, the mutuality really helps to melt some of our wounds, <coughs> some of our woundedness. If we recognize it. And if we recognize that more or less any gesture we do of generosity, giving, connecting, mutuality, even in that position is going to be helpful. If somebody says, Oh, how are you? you know, there's going to be something that lights up. It doesn't take that much. That's the power of mutuality. The power of it. You know, people in concentration camps, imprisonments, singing together. Just to get out of their trap. That's the power of mutuality. And it signifies something so fundamental about human beings, how we really our only potential for survival. First of all, it's just our ability to band together and throw a few stones at some bears or something, save ourselves, because our skinny little puny bodies couldn't do it on our own. <clears throat> Sometimes the ability to get together and figure out how to act as some cooperative of six, ten, fifteen, twenty, hundred of us to get a bit of land and grow some food and look after each other, we are our children. Mm -hmm. Our mutuality was our, you know, much more than our, you know, abstract intelligence has been our saviour, and it will continue to be. It's so fundamental. Most any true being, sooner or later, is going to talk about that, exemplify that. The you relationship. <clears throat> new relationship is the beginning of a, of a powerful we and that's the true we you know you get the false we is when it goes from I to we <laughs> without a you in it <laughs> I think therefore we all agree <laughs> we belong to this oh yeah maybe ask me <laughs> this is called the uniform 
we would all, all stand up and salute. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, so you get the false we's and the true we's. You know, we're looking, the true we has to come through you, which often means there's a bit of shimming and negotiation and having to give and take. Now, when we come to meditate, right? You know, how much do we kind of sense, right, how I can get my mind to calm down? Calm down, mind. Now, that's an it relationship. Mind is an object. (coughs) My body to sit still body, stop hurting body. That's an it relationship. It's a command. Whether it's however politely put, it's still a, a command. It's not, uh, how are you? What's helpful? Where does this fit? What's needed? Mm-hmm. How can I listen, support? You know, what can I, how can I enter? How can I be with this? Now that's, that's why dawn is the beginning of meditation, essentially, because establishing the mutuality you go to the path of dana, giving sila, morality or mutual respect, yeah. nikama, simplicity, turning away from the differentiation of the sense world. Yeah, this is a kind of a subtle point because, again, when we use our sense organs, naturally, this, I'm sitting here, this is the me bit, this lump. And that lump over there, the kitty sorrow bit, and there's a big hole between us. <laughs> That's what the sense faculties say. Yeah. You know? But uh, when you experience friendship and mutuality, there's no here and there, is there? No, it's here. It's all here. You know, the perceptions, the warmth, the feeling, that even the negative feeling about Kirisara or whatever, that's here. Not there, it's here, isn't it? It's, 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 it's my experience, it's part of what I am, in that sense. So the sense fields, sense doors tend to throw, split things up. This is one of the first big splits. You might say the first split is between subject and object. Seeing those not as relative positions on a range of experience, but actually as finite separate entities. You know, subject is separate from an object, you know, and there's a kind of boundary between them. You know, that's the first big split. Consciousness naturally differentiates for negotiation, for navigation purposes, you might say. <laughs> but then if that's taken as an ultimate statement or a fine or a final statement then there's the fear the um, opinions the projections the um, confusions the uh, gratification instincts the defense instincts all start kicking in don't they whether they're necessary or not they're poised they're ready to deal with the other yeah. And that, where's, what's that feel like? 
perhaps we're so used to it we don't even really recognize it until perhaps at moments that drops away <coughs> how beautiful it is when that, that isn't there you know, you touch that and perhaps you know maybe everybody in their life experiences it sometime or another when there isn't that and they maybe think it's because of one special person or one special moment actually that is the normal state that's the natural you know we might say that's the if you want to have an enlightened state I mean put that in inverted commas that's that's one way of talking about it there isn't that sense of the barrier which we've kind of is quite sometimes a soft barrier you know a barrier that we we all everybody understands so we know how to carefully negotiate our way with it and yet my goodness a lot of energy has to build up around that barrier doesn't it between me and you and are you okay and what does he think is she so how are we getting on what does she think of me and I'm like mm, so, oof. <laughs> Now, if we could just say, Dana Sila, whatever, whoever, I'm not going to mess with you, you know, it, you know, we really knew that and felt that and mutually trusting in that and that was accomplished in this, we wouldn't need to have that, would we? Or it might be just a sense of, let me just check in with you how this is going to work. But it wouldn't be hard and tense and, and shadowed, it would be conscious. I just want to know. That's all. I'm not, you know, oh, I just want to know. It's like, is it free of this shadow tension? It's not cracked. Mm. Then you could see, you know, we're living in situations that just, you know, constantly go against that possibility of mutual. You're living in cities, you know, you're walking past. 700,000 people a day just grunt, 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 elbow, shove, in a line, ticket, flash your credit card, stick something in the slot, morning, buy, off. You know? <laughs> and that's on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, some of this whole structure is, is, uh, of non-mutuality, of kind of living in a strange collective prison you might say where where we all got our little boundaries around us we're kind of rattling around inside this thing called a uh, urban lifestyle uh, and so that all builds up into crime discrimination violence abuse so uh, well let's not dwell upon that but is dwelling instead upon recognizing that and that's not because people are innately evil or twisted it's just because the the occasion you know for overcoming this sense of separation isn't presented so we by default when we can't feel you our system will go into it for protection we can't feel you we can't experience you system must go into it, me and it for defence, for protection it's not, you don't have any negotiation on that and so, you know, we just need to know that and when, when is it possible 
And how is it possible to just start to melt some of that? And in a retreat situation where people are bounded by precepts, free entry, you know, be here, so forth, help out. Maybe there's a greater encouragement for that. And if you tune into that, align yourself with that, you begin to relate to your own, what seems to be your own stuff, your mind states, your body states, with a sense of, how does this work? Rather than, I'm going to get concentrated, I'm going to get mindful, I'm going to get to enlightenment stage, I'm going to go through this process, stage one, two, three, four, five. Stop! <laughs> this is this is a linear process. You know, we're instead we're going to do something much more holistic. How do I develop relationship first of all? See where it goes. Now, you know, part of the wonder and the discovery of, of meditation, you know, is just through a little bit of careful alignment, uh, viveka, withdrawal, a sense of just turning back from the sense doors, from the outflow of the sense doors, sense doors are there, we don't have to be rushing out through them. Uh, we don't have to be putting barricades against them. It's cool. It's safe. We can we can turn back into a, another system, another form of intelligence that's actually prior to sensory uh, intelligence. Sensory intelligence is great at defining objects, <laughs> negotiation, navigation. Very good eyes, particularly, really good at defining objects. Not so good at defining subject, but feeling one's heart. Easily to get caught in objects. Mm. Now, you can come to another, more primary form of intelligence called energetic intelligence. And this is to something that is not um, limited in the same way that the sense consciousness is. Energetic intelligence always is in touch with relational experience. You could say fundamentally one way of saying how am I being affected by? Yeah. That's the simplest way to how am I being affected by the sight, sound, person, thought, memory, um, sensation, whatever, how am I being affected by? And you can feel some kind of resonance there, some kind of shift. Happy, pleasant, unpleasant feeling. Now even so that this is where you start to enter into a into an experience which is no longer me it it's always relational i can't really distinguish you as an object from me as a subject because what i'm aware of is this resonance of experiencing and being ex- you know an experiencing in which perceptions of you or my body or my past or my friends or my mother or whatever are resonating and there's this movement there now clearly on one level, I can say my mother's a separate person, perhaps she's dead, you know. Uh, on a material level, but on an immaterial level, the energetic level, she's still here. She's still a resonance in my mind. She can still affect me with gratitude or disappointment, whatever. So, this is, you know, so in that, there's no real separation. 
there's no and with with this there's the also the beginning to reduce the sense of being a separate being a separate entity because all the time as long as there's some sense of an object there it's constantly shifting and changing me as a subject it's making me feel grateful, happy, disappointed, frustrated. So who am I? Yeah. And as I bring in my disintentionality out, I can start. You know, that person, I really, she's a nasty piece of work. I hate her to bits. She's ugly. She's a demon. Whatever. <laughs> I think, well, you know, everybody gets like that sometimes. So she's having a bad day and what is it, you know, that, and suddenly she changes into being a rather trapped, frustrated being who I feel a bit sorry for. And, you know, I'm still not going to go near her, but... <laughs> but I think this, you know, she changes from being a demon into being a kind of a... being, living under her oppressions. So, and again, in this relational sense, I can also, or something in me, can change the object. And the object can change me, so this is the mutuality of it, isn't it? The the depend codependent arising of of it. The subject and the object codependently arise. So nothing is actually a, a thing. Nothing is, is really a separate finite thing. It's always a perception, an impression <coughs> in my energetic experience. Why I say it's energetic? Because it's dynamic, it's changeable. On a heart level, it's emotional. And that's the easiest thing we recognize as an emotional sign. Yeah. Apprehension, friendship, nervousness, warmth, love, passion, hatred, whatever. There's some kind of emotional resonance. That's what's happening. And who she is and who I am are very, very foggy, actually depends what's the real thing is that relationship and as I touch that relationship my heart touches that relationship I can sense ooh this is big suffering <laughs> is there a way this suffering could be lessened perhaps if I just widen, soften, step back look to things differently I have the keys to, to change that relationship, at least here, which is, which is what's happening. So we, we take charge of our world. Yeah. And at the same time, we don't expect results. I'm not expecting this other person to suddenly, you know, become a fairy godmother. But she's not going to bother me. She's not going to sit inside my mind, stabbing me every night. <laughs> and then I think, well, Please go your own way, dear. You know, find your own way. But you're not, you know, I'm not carrying that around. So this, in a way, is an enlightenment. It's a model of enlightenment. It doesn't mean suddenly I'm all right, Jack. You know, sort yourself out. It means um, that I am not. When I no longer carry that those hurtful impressions of you, perhaps what I say and do will also come from more generous and loving space and it may help you if you're open to it. If I don't do that, what's going to happen is those positions are going to freeze up. 
If I don't do that, it's no, it's not like neutral territory. If you don't melt it, it freezes. <laughs> so it locks into. I'm never gonna, the rest of my life. I'm never going <laughs> to. She becomes part of my fixed universe, and certainly part of our work is to, is to do this with our memories and perceptions of each other, and even of ourself, our self-image, which we can hold with some lack of mercy and graciousness. So this is all part of why and how we meditate to come to perhaps the first, most obvious level of. of Interdependence is the emotional one. And rather than her, you. How are we going? How am I going to work this out with this perception in my mind? Rather than just that's who she is. Definitely finished, fixed, finite. This perception of mine is, is a you that's subject to the negotiation. I can work with it. I can let it change me. And the benefit will not just be for her. Most of the benefit will actually be for me. So I'll be free of this terrible pain, oppression. And hopefully, you know, through that my actions will help her. But that's up to her in a way. Now, this what we call this renunciation, which is a rather chilling word, but it means it's actually sort of stepping back from the world based upon the informational field of the senses to something to do with what I've loosely called energetic fields. What's that? Well, emotion is one of them, the most obvious one. It doesn't really stay within us, does it? We experience it, and yet it's always bound up with the past, the future, other persons, people, my, images of myself, it's in this kind of rather measureless realm. And we can say that other people definitely contribute to that, and through my emotional realm I definitely contribute to their well-being or their harm. So it's not a sealed in package, it's not a separate entity, it's a relational field. And this is perhaps the way we most commonly recognise it, and quite a few people say, gee, that's painful, just shut it off. You know, it's so confusing and messy in there. Better just go up to your head and think about things. Instead, sort it out on paper. Hand over the paper. This is what you need to do with your life. Go away, you know, and so forth. Or take a pill. You know, just switch that thing off because it's messy in there. And, uh... <laughs> so, I think, you're right, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't switch off. <laughs> Every now and then it pops up again. <laughs> so, okay, oh no. So we go into it, it with some caution and some care about uh, uh, what this this realm has the potential for. Because you know, one of the problems of the emotional realm is it's highly evocative and it tends towards what's called proliferation, which means there she is, how dare she, after all I did for her, and there are people always like this, and I'm never going to in other words, it multiplies, it cascades into a, into a whole fragmentation of um, memories, perceptions, interpretations, projections, and so forth. So you get this fragmentation effect. 
which one feels overwhelmed by. And that's that's the difficulty of the emotional realm. Why many people say just don't go there, because you know? it fragments and you can't you can't catch all those fragments. It's like <coughs> like rain. You can't catch all the raindrops. It's just scattering everywhere. And you just feel completely overwhelmed. So get a grip, calm down, and. Now there is some, you know, practical wisdom in that. <laughs> but to, you know, to calm skillfully doesn't mean to deny the relationship. It means to set up a centre which will actually start to resonate some calming influences into that realm. I don't really think you can cut it off. If you do, you're going to really mess yourself up sooner or later. But you can start to resonate through that from a stiller place. And this is this is really where we can purify or steady or understand or much more benevolent and helpful our emotional realm. Now this occurs through another very powerful energy field that's almost completely uh, um, ignored or not understood, which is the body. The bodily field. Kaya Sankara is the Buddhist word for it. Often left with rather myst- mystifying translations, bodily formation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's a bodily formation? You know, is it you know, like a squad, squad of some kind, like a group of people? Um, so um, just looking at the way it's used, and I won't really go into all that now, but you can if you like, we can look at it in detail, but uh, because it's something that we calmed and soothed, I'd say roughly equivalent to nervous energy, uh, bodily energy, bodily vitality, chi, prana, that, that reference. Uh, and this, in fact, you know, what is it? Once you begin to really understand breathing in and out as something that happens to you, from something you do, who's pulling the levers? Who says, that's enough breathing out, time to breathe in? <laughs> Who says, you can breathe in a bit more, keep going, don't give up? <laughs> <laughs> who's doing that if I'm not doing it? So there's intelligence there. There's an energetic intelligence that, that's constantly assessing, moderating in the body. And this thing, it tells the body what to heal. You cut yourself, you don't have to... It starts healing it. Get some food in your belly, it starts breaking it down and digesting. It doesn't just sit there as a big stodgy lump, does it? It start, gets you growing, grows you up, <coughs> you know, from being a little cell into being this complicated multi-celled organism. It seems to decide which cells could be a liver, which is could be an eyelash. You know? So there's something they're figuring out how this body forms. Ah, bodily formation. Oh, I get it. <laughs> and <laughs> now, you know, of course it has many, many faculties and many facets, but what Buddha is saying, the centre of that is breathing in and out. That is, this is where you can access that primary vitality, that primary intelligence, which is breathing out. And what's it doing? It's shifting energy, isn't it? 
The out-breath is discharge, 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 release, soften. In-breath is gather in, gather in, brighten up, sharpen up, you know, discharge. Brighten up, discharge. It's a soothing pulse because it's rhythmic, repeated and involuntary. It has a calming effect on the nerves and you begin to recognise the same set of energies in your body operate in your mind. They're really not separate. In fact, to consider the body and the mind separate is another fundamental split. And, you know, it's a split that's strongly encouraged. Science, rationality, the Greeks onwards. I don't want to blame the Greeks, but nothing against Greeks particularly. It wasn't maybe somebody else would have figured it out. <laughs> Said, you know, there we go. Mind, pure mind, thought body, you know, definite separate things. And poor old Descartes often gets it in the neck for this kind of line of thought. <laughs> but he was just following, you know, the trend. Because once you go into that, it kind of makes sense. You know, a thought is different from a rock, definitely, surely. Isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's material, but it's immaterial. So in that case, a thought is different from a rock, your mind is different from your body, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at that again, you know. Really, there, there's a differentiation. It's like, you know, you get the light, you get the red end, and you get the blue end, and the x-rays and the infrareds, but really they're not separate, they just gradate. And just bear that in mind, materiality is the is the slowest, coarsest aspect of the energy spectrum and mentality is the is the more refined, more volatile aspect of the energetic spectrum. And actually, you know, beyond our thinking mind there's an even finer, more refined development of mental energy, of that energy. So it goes from non-thought through thought down to material form. Now that's the rainbow. Hmm? Um, so, you know, so is a rock different from the, the thought? Well, it's different, but, for example, can you experience a rock without having a perception of it? If I say the word to a, say, to a, I don't know, to a Syrian rock, what does he do? Does he think I'm coughing up something? Rock, <laughs> rock. <laughs> He doesn't understand language. You know? So, but, you know, to, to, the, to have the sound, the word, the memory rock, you've got to have a physical rock in order to have that perception. You can't have the perception without the object. Right? Similarly, you can't really have an object without... What's that? You know? What's that? I remember those, I've seen them. <coughs> They're called rocks, you know? <coughs> So that rock becomes part of our lexicon, our memory perception, we know how to behave with it. So actually all our material world is really held in relationship to our immaterial world. Hmm? And there's, there's, there's a differentiation there. Now when you're coming down to organic stuff, it's, it's much closer. You know, you, if you think a frightening thought, your body will experience tension. If you think, you know, the thought, 
you're not allowed, you're not allowed in here, get out, stop it, shut up, shut down, and you say that's a conviction, you can feel those resonances happening in your body. You feel yourself tensing up. You say, it's all right now, you're welcome, please feel free, open up, relax, you'll feel that. Your body will feel it. So at a very organic and intimate level, it's the most apparent place where we most apparently recognise that those fields, the body field and the mental field, interact. And when the bodily field is calm and comfortable, the mental field also starts to become softer, kinder. The, the boundaries soften. You no longer feel so trapped, so hard so forceful, so needy, so demanding, so you know, domineering, we become gentler and cooperative. When body and mind cooperate, in this sense, we have the experience called unification or samadhi. This is how you meditate. Through mutuality, through interdependence, through correct relationship. So we must be careful to um, pause around the I will meditate, I will I will sort myself out, I will make my mind calm. You know, once we use that, those references, we're going into the I and it relationship, suffering is bound to occur. And when we enter into the I will allow, I will embrace, I will listen, I will be with, I will feel what needs to be felt, I will incline towards composure, responsibility, sensitivity, steadiness, you know, then we're beginning to emanate and radiate the kind of qualities that the mind and the body both need to feel comfortable. And in the Buddha's presentation, one of his presentations he says, when you have really cultivated sila not just keeping rules but really getting the feeling for it the non-abuse the lovingness of it, the tenderness of it, you will feel glad when you feel glad, your mind will rise up, when your mind rises up, without any problem, your body will start to relax when your body's relaxed Without any problem, your mind will begin to feel gently happy. This is samadhi. It's this. Without any more pressure. It's just this abiding in that, drinking it in, absorbing that. So so there is definitely a process there. When we take in reflect, you've got a day for it, you know, just take any of these pieces, ponder them, carefully think it through, get a feeling for it, you know, it, it adds up, you know, open up those nerves of generosity, mutuality, sila, non-abuse, feel the gladness of it, walk it, sit in it, Stand in it, breathe it. It's going to go into your body. Absorb it. Yeah. Now the Buddha did not, never said concentrate, but he did say absorb. 
And this is what absorption is about, absorbing, like blotting paper, soaking up, soaking up, till the heart, the body and the mind feel satisfied and steady. So this is not a suppression concentration. This is a absorption concentration. This is samar samadhi, correct, right, appropriate, unification. So within your own body. How does it work, you know? Get to know it. Like you've been living with this one for how many years? It's been alive. It's been doing all kinds of stuff under the hood. <laughs> it has intelligence. It's more intelligent than you are in many ways. You couldn't walk. You can't balance. You can't digest anything. You can't even breathe in and out. This does it. For you as a gift. So absorb it. Our responsibility, from our heads up, is to just be the wise custodian of that. To listen to it, care for it. Surely in this way, we no longer care about enlightenment, nibbana, concentration, because we're happy. (laughs) 